0: Welcome to House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. If you're ready to get your physical, emotional, and spiritual life in order, join us for the next hour as we meet some interesting people who will share stories of success and wisdom that you can apply to your own life. Now, here's Dr. Connie.
1: Welcome to House Calls in the month of September, and one of my favorite songs is probably from the 60s by The Happenings called See You in September. So here we are kids are back in school. And if you're in Arizona, they went back to school in August. And I always sort of wondered about that when my kids started school here in the middle of the summer, in the middle of the heat wave. But hey, it works for them. So right now I've been surviving the heat this past summer. There's been no rain in Arizona. We typically have a monsoon. We have that torrential rain. And I was talking to one of my patients yesterday complaining about no monsoon, and she goes, oh, you mean it's a nonsoon, right? Nonsoon, no monsoon. So as I usually do on house calls in the beginning, I do my honorable mentions. And this is a long list of honorable mentions because the month of September has the most birthdays of any other month. So do the math. Nine months before September is December. So think of all those cold winters and struggling to stay warm with your sweetheart. So here are the birthdays in the month of September. Happy birthday to Dan Aguiar in Washington State. Dan is my son Andrew's college roommate. And uh, Dan and his wife named one of their second youngest son, their second oldest son, after my son Andrew. So that's really cool. So happy birthday, Dan. Uh, my neighbor and friend, Steve Salyer in Sedona, Dr. Adrian Adler-Neal, <clears throat> happy birthday. She was my guest on House Calls a few sessions ago, talking about meditation and relaxation as a way of therapy. Tommy Williams, who is like a nephew to me. He is the son of my dear friend, Maddie Williams. Phyllis Green was my executive assistant at the White House. She is in Kentucky. She's amazing and just a dear friend. Sandra Mackey, who's been a guest on my House Calls twice and a guest on my Widow's Walk show last month. Happy birthday. Jerry Mills is a wonderful guy in Florida and in Virginia. He was my late husband's John, uh, his, his human resource director. Laura Ziff, a dear, another dear, dear friend of mine, a gal pal who was on my show where we talked about travel. Nia Hune, who is my lash queen, cosmetic gal here in Phoenix. Patricia Nance, who's a dear friend. Dr. Michelle Louie from Mayo Clinic, moved here from New York in North Carolina. Dan Miller, who is an amazing artist. Liz Brown is one of my oldest friends from San Diego. Craig Clifford, whose birthday is coming up. Uh, he did my show on House Calls for June to talk about Father's Day. Happy birthday, Craig. Sherry Mariano-Bellesteros is my cousin in California, Donna Venturelli here in Arizona. Lynn Aumiller-Pato is celebrating her birthday in September, and she lives in Colorado. Wendy Beck on September 11th has her birthday. Daniel Lohior, Karen Bendock, who I just saw recently at brunch. Carly Vlacos, who is an expert on alopecia and hair loss here in town. Jane Roig, she and her husband did one of my shows where we talked about their international travel and cruising. Richard Stevens, who was uh, my first husband. Happy birthday, Richard. He's the father of my two sons and the grandfather of my four grandkids. Cheryl Elligard in California. Tommy Stasener in Little Rock, Arkansas. Phil Myers here in Scottsdale. Steve Gabay in Scottsdale. Happy birthday. Eileen Redman up in Carefree. Bill Goldberg is celebrating in Wisconsin, Dr. Glenn Tanner. I send a lot of people to him. He is a wonderful chiropractor and a friend. Bart LaBelle is in Michigan. Happy birthday, Bart. Brian Beaver is in Wyoming. (laughs) Hugo Rodriguez is my favorite jeweler. I call him the the Lord of the Rings, and he did my February Valentine's Day show about uh, tokens of love and jewelry that we give our loved ones. Ginny Wetterow is in California. Happy birthday, Ginny. Bill Moeller in Salt Lake City. Suzanne Haniotis, my friend who is working on her memoir, Amazing Story About Her Life. She is in Hawaii right now. Happy birthday, Suzanne. Donna Corrigan, uh, another fellow widow, uh, is in Michigan. Ellen Schulhofer in Vegas. Happy birthday. Meredith Wimmer here in town. Bob McClain, who is in Calgary, dear friend of our family. And David Hovey Jr., Happy birthday, David. So all of you have a wonderful September birthday. This month, we also celebrate a few interesting historic events. We have National Coffee Day. Did you know there's a National Coffee Day? September 29th, when they list the top three favorite beverages in this country. Do you know what they are? Number one, bottled water. Number two, carbonated soft drinks. Coffee comes in as number three for the favorite beverage. If another trivia question is, what is the most popular or favorite beverage in the whole world? And believe it or not, it is tea because of China and India, because of all the tea that is consumed. Also, another holiday is September 10th is National Grandparents Day, the first Sunday after Labor Day in the United States. So happy Grandparents Day. Here's some statistics about grandparents, of which I'm a proud member. About a third of all the adults in this country are grandparents. The average age of becoming a grandparent is around age 47 for the first time. The average age of all grandparents is about 64. And the average grandparent has about six grandchildren. Well, I have four, so there's still room to grow, guys. I'm telling my kids that. About 77% of grandparents are married. The number of grandparents has grown by 24% since 2001, and there are over 70 million grandparents in this country. By age 65, 96 of Americans are grandparents. I think I was, how old was I? I was 60 when I became a grandparent with my first granddaughter, Addie. Four in 10 grandparents still work. 9.8% of grandparents in the United States raise their grandchildren, and we actually see that number rising with grandparents being involved. The other holiday in this country is patriot day which is september 11th in memory of september 11th 2001 and it observes those days of those uh, those in the united states or those americans who were injured or died during the terrorist attacks in the united states a lot of us remember where we are if you're an adult uh you remember where you are on september 11th when that happened on the news and and changed everything in this country in terms of security and how we travel. And so we pray for the lives of those who were lost and their families, and we pray for the safety of our country. So, And I, again, I ask, where were you on 9-11? Let's not forget. The first day of fall falls on September 23rd this year. Uh, the autumnal equinox at 2.50 a.m. Eastern Standard is on September 23rd in the Northern Hemisphere. That's when the astronomical event marks the start of the fall in the north hemisphere an equinox happens when the center of the sun crosses the celestial equator then that's an imaginary extension of the earth's equator into space so as we know days become shorter and that notes that happens until the summer the winter solstice happens on the 21st so the other big holiday this month which just celebrated earlier this month is labor day September 4th and I, as many others who were working, continue to labor and work on work on that day. It's a federal holiday in the U.S. It's, as we know, celebrated the first Monday in September. It honors and recognizes the American labor movement and the works and contributions of people who work in this country. And it was created in the late 19th century and it became a federal holiday in 1894, as far back as that. So it brings forth the topic of work. Why do we work? What is our work about? How are you defined on it? How do we, how does it impact our lives? How long do we work? What are the good things? What are the bad things? And I think looking back at the last three years of the pandemic, work as we knew it had changed when everybody was forced to stay indoors and isolate. And a lot of people started, knew what it was like to work remote. It impacted how I did my practice into a hybrid model where I work all the time because if you can email or call me or text me, I'm still working taking care of patients. But several days a week, I'm in clinic seeing patients. And I don't have somebody manning the desk 24-7. They are out working remote. I have people who work part-time and full-time for me helping provide care with me. So one of the topics about work, what we do, who we are in our work, is my special guest today, an amazing, incredible woman, Dr. Dina George. And she is an amazing woman for many reasons. She's a physician, an MD. She attended my medical school, the Uniformed Services University School of Medicine. She is probably about 16 years younger than I. So she graduated years years after I did. I was in the uh, second class that graduated through USU. She's a board-certified family practice physician. She is a hospitalist in Bryan, Texas, near College Station. She is a leader, as proven as an Army veteran. She has served a tour in Iraq unaccompanied. So at that time, 15 months separated from her husband and a little boy. That's probably one of the hardest things anybody can go through in the military. She's a podcast host of her own show. She's an entrepreneur. She's a connector. She's a mentor, she's an organizer. she's a teacher, she's a wife, she's a mother. And most of all, she's an amazing friend. and she's in studio. I also like how she has that wonderful, calming voice. She's really a therapist for a lot of us, docs. I I always say she heals the healers. I, I like to say that. I keep trying to get her to write her book about healing the healers. She's passionate about living a life filled with love and service, and she's proud of the depth and connection in the relationships she shares with her husband, Craig, her son, Roland, and her circle of friends. Professionally, Dr. Dina George works with Green Cloud Apparel as the chief connector, as well as working the rest of the time as a hospitalist in her local community. She is co-founder of the CME, which is a continuing medical education conference named Emerge Stronger, Emerge Stronger for Women Physicians and Dentists, which she is going to sponsor in February of 2024. And I've been very blessed and asked to be one of the speakers there. Dr. Dina, I'm going to call her Dr. Dina, is also the host of Create an Unstoppable Life podcast, of which she's invited me to be on on her podcast before. And it's a great podcast. Please listen in. She loves to learn. She is a perpetual student of life. She loves to learn and read and reflect. This is somebody who I think is going to have tremendous brain power and soul power for as long as she's in this life. She collects experiences and lessons. She's lived abroad. She's worked with the AmeriCorps. She served a family physician in the U.S. Army, as I said, with a tour in Iraq, and she completed a fellowship in hospice medicine. And started her own business. Her information is on the e-card about her "Emerge Stronger" conference for doctors, for women physicians out there, and uh, former military women physicians. Please look at that website, "Emerge Stronger" conference to join us. Also, for her podcast, I want to plug that definitely. It's called "Create an Unstoppable Life" podcast, and that's hers. And she does a great job. Her website is Dina D E N A George md dot com. So with that, I, I'm just going to let you do the whole show. You can just do the whole show, Dina. So
2: welcome to my show. It is truly. It's an honor to be here, and it's an honor to be called a friend. Truly. So I'm gonna I'm gonna break from my script. How do you recharge your batteries? You do so much. What do you? How do you recharge? It's doing things that are meaningful. It just fills my soul. Being here with you fills my soul connecting with others and helping them see how much life is inside of them, how much excitement is inside of them. It just fills my soul. I love
1: that. I just love how you do it. You know, I, we, we're sharing about the difficulties we've had growing up. Nobody has a perfect childhood. We have struggles. And and one of the things I, I've struggled with is the mantra that I've brought over from childhood. And I still struggle. You're never good enough. You've never done enough. And that's you know maybe my secret to trying to overachieve is trying to say to that voice, no, I've done plenty, but you never want to believe that. But, you know, you've done so much. And it sounds like to me, you love media, you love your podcast. How did you come upon
2: doing your own podcast? I, For so many years, I felt like I was broken, like truly broken. And I carried that around and, and I worked harder and harder and harder to def- try to figure out what is wrong with me. And at some point I realized this is is the human experience, that so many of us feel like we're not worthy, we're not enough, we're not good enough, we're not whatever. And the more I started talking about it, I would hear others say, that's me too. That you're, I feel like you're reading my mind, I feel like you know me. And then I realized, wait, it's not just me. It was like the best news ever. This isn't just me. And the more that we can talk about it, the more that we can share it, the more that we can all grow. And I think what's really important is growing in community. And so that was the impetus to start the podcast. That is the impetus to keep going, because it really forces me to to take re-look at my life and the things that I labeled as failure or wrong, the things that I've held shame or guilt about. I can make something out of it now, and I can tell a new story, and I can tell it in a way that others can open up to those areas that they feel broken into. You know,
1: when you share your story... You look at somebody like you, and I'm like me, successful woman, high achieving, many a many many accomplishments in so many realms of life, in military, professional, business, social, you name it. But you know, but yet we feel broken, and yet we feel compelled to never be feel enough. And I think it takes a lot of humility to admit number one, I'm broken, and I need help, and I'm going to get that help, and I'm going to have help others along the way. And I think. Because a lot of times you'll see someone you think she's utterly perfect, right? There's nobody like that. There's nobody like that. Like own up to it. Don't pretend you're in denial or you're delusional. Hey, you know, whatever is perfect is just own up to that life is tough. That You struggle. So you share on your podcast about healing and how to get better and how to, when you say unstoppable life, where did you, where did you get the term unstoppable? Oh,
2: it just, it feels so good to say it like a life without limits and And granted, I I want a life with limits. I want very clear values and I want to be focused and I want to go in a purposeful direction. So unstoppable to me means I am not getting in my own way. I am not the one who is creating those roadblocks because I get stuck or I get afraid or Mm -hmm. I have doubt or I buy into the uncertainty. That's a
1: great way to look at it because a lot of times we are our biggest critic. We're our biggest censor. You know, when I try to write something, and I start criticizing it, then I stop writing. You know, right. you, you hold yourself back. One of my friends who I, I talk to a lot, we, we share different things. And when my friend will start pausing, I said, why are you pumping the brakes? And when, I, when someone does that, I said, you're censoring before you said it. Don't censor, no brakes, because your true friends will accept what you say without brakes because it'll flow. It'll flow through you. Mm -hmm. But see, it isn't enough to be a doctor, a hospitalist, a veteran, and and to do your podcast. Tell me about the apparel company that you're involved in.
2: Oh, it's amazing. Founded by Dr. Lori Bosch. Lori is a combat veteran. She was a senior emergency medicine resident when I was an intern in family medicine. We were both at Fort Hood, now Fort Cavazos. And Ever since she started in medicine, she had this feeling that when she would wear scrubs, which is primarily what they do in the ER, that they just didn't fit. Mm -hmm. They were uncomfortable. They were made for men. They're starchy. And she said, why not? Why not create something better? She did lots of things for lots of years, and that idea never went away. She's like, what else? Maybe now. Mm." And then she would talk herself out of it. And then it was during COVID that she said, now is the time and she started developing scrubs that are made for women that look amazing. They feel amazing. Like it feels like you're wearing your second skin. They feel so good that you don't wanna take them off. And what's amazing about them is people notice. And so they start to notice the person. The person feels a little bit differently because not only are they wearing something comfortable, but they can be fashionable at the same right. time. Right. And she loves it. So <laughs> she'll wear them in her own hospital, and people will come up and say, Can I, what are you wearing? <laughs> Where, who made this? And then they want to touch it. Yeah. And she's like, This this. This is all about bringing out the confidence and courage yeah. of the person who's wearing them. Yeah. Because so often, high achievers, we still hide. Mm-hmm. We still, like, we don't want to show everything we know, because what if we don't know something? Mm-hmm. And this gives the opportunity to really stand out, and stand out for all the right reasons. So she has created an incredible company with an incredible mission to support women in medicine. And not just support women in medicine, but but support sustainable careers, which means that some facets of medicine need to evolve, Yeah. so that yeah. women stay in women want to choose medicine because it really is an amazing career and an amazing opportunity to serve nobody else gets to do that
1: you know we talk about that dina came out yesterday and has been staying with me and we just had the opportunity to share our careers and what medicine means to us and and the tremendous honor to be intimately involved in the lives of so many people and and the diversity of people you see you talked about uh, the young man with cerebral palsy who had elevated liver enzymes and, and septic, and they thought it was pneumonia. And then you work with the family, but he was handicapped. And you, get, you just get a slice of life with every encounter. And, and yet you can impact it in good ways.
2: I love that about medicine. Like, I feel most alive when I am at the bedside, particularly if I get to teach a student mm-hmm. and, and really share what I hear, what I see. What I read and put it all together? And I don't have to have the answer. Like, I I make that statement up front, I don't have to have all the answers, but I do need to make something out of this pile and I need to figure out what the next step is and I need to communicate it in a way that it is clear for the individual listening Mm -hmm. and that they not only understand, but that they think it's the right way too. Because if it's not gonna be that way, then we need to figure out a way together. And I think that is so exciting, like it really involves all of our senses. Mm and i don't know of anything else in life that really mm-hmm. brings out all of that and the opportunity to serve in a place that people feel so deeply vulnerable you know you're right and it i think
1: you'll never get bored with medicine never 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 and the fact that you can use your brain you you it's the science apart you use your ob- obviously basic science use all the things that you've learned clinically But it's your intuitive sense, right? Your communication Mm -hmm. that you can show compassion and that you can communicate. It's your communication that you can instill trust and kindness and caring. Mm -hmm. And anybody from all walks socioeconomically and culturally and ethnically can get your message that I'm here to help you. We're here to find out what's going on. And I think that's a it's a challenge because you bring in so many facets of your skills, not only as a podcast and an influencer, but also using your brain to communicate at all levels because it means nothing unless they understand what's going on and you're reassured. So we're going to take a quick break here in the middle and we're going to come back with Dr. Dina George about about our life, about our work, because we live in our work, but work is joyful and it's meaningful. And that's really about meaning. So stay on our show, please. We turn in a few minutes from our brief break on House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano and Dr. Dina George on House Calls. (music)
3: Follow Voice America at facebook.com forward slash voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Who's your doctor? When I was looking for a doctor, I thought, which person gets the best care of all and whose doctor's credentials are the most carefully reviewed? Well, the answer was obvious who looks after the President of the United States?
2: Andrew and Aaron Stevens with Apply Everyday Health are partnered with a 100-year-old company to help you build health through natural approaches. Our scientists believe that the key to a healthy lifestyle lies within nature. By using ingredients proven to be safe and effective, our products provide nutrition guaranteed to change your life in a positive way. To find out how you can get the same top-of-the-line vitamins taken daily by Olympic athletes, astronauts, and the White House doctor herself, visit applyeveryday.com.
3: Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today.
0: You are tuned in to House Calls with former White House physician, Dr. Connie Mariano. If you have a question or comment for our show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Radio at gmail.com. That's drconnieradio at gmail.com. Now, back to House Calls with Dr. Connie.
1: Welcome back to House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano and Dr. Dina George, who is visiting us from Bryan, Texas. She is a fellow alumna from the Uniformed Services University School of Medicine, my medical school, former Army veteran, has served a tour in Iraq. God bless you for your service. And she's an entrepreneur. She's a businesswoman. She's a podcast host. She's an organizer. She's a student of life. She's a mentor, teach so many, many things. And she's also humble and kind and caring. Those are also such great things. So Dina and I were talking about medicine and how you're continuing learning and and doing that in our lives are medicine. I, I tell people this year, on May 23rd, I celebrated 42 years of marriage to medicine. Been married to medicine longer than any of my husbands, so that's amazing to be married that long. And you've been married to medicine for how many years?
2: 20. 20 years. 20. And I remember the day at Uniform Services University that you were promoted. Because it was announced over the loudspeaker, the first USU graduate is promoted to admiral, the first flag officer, and the response over the loudspeaker, one of ours, is a flag officer.
1: You know, a lot of people don't know this, but I flunked gross anatomy. (laughs) (laughs) My first year at USU, I was so overwhelmed. I was away from home, all these excuses. And I was so overwhelmed, and I, I i flunked gross anatomy. I had to retake it that summer and i thought i'll never I'll never graduate. <laughs> <laughs> I just knew I shouldn't be a surgeon. I'm not going to be a surgeon <laughs> and then and so you took a door that closed and you realize i'm going to take another path. I was actually supposed to be an o b g y n doctor, and I did my rotation at the old oh actually, I did my rotation at the old Bethesda, and it was so difficult. it was a time back in the seventies that they would uh, haze the, the, the med students. They'd make you cry. They'd try to make you cry. You're not supposed to cry back then. And it was one particular resident who was so mean to everybody, and he picked on me all the time, and I, and I just had a negative experience. I, I passed the rotation at OBGYN, but I thought, I'm not going to be one of them. And then the next month, I rotated to the old Walter Reed Army Hospital, and I had the nicest, kindest, most gentle resident on my team who was a former psychiatry resident who went into internal medicine, which was amazing because he would spend time and talk to people. And I said, I want to be one of these guys. And so this is how karma works. Fast forward 30 years. I do my time in the Navy, make rear admiral, publish my book. And I'm asked to be the keynote speaker of the American College of Gynecologic Surgeons in Tucson, Arizona. So I go out to Tucson And the night before my keynote in front of 500 people, I'm at the dinner for the officers of the organization. And I'm right across this table, and I look at this guy's name, and I know his name, and I see Bethesda, Maryland, and he is the resident who harassed me 30-some years ago. And I said, wow, this is payback. So I said, Dr. So-and-so, did you train in the Navy? Oh, yes, I did. I trained at Bethesda. I was your med student. He says, you were? I said, yes. And you made an indelible impression upon me. I'm going to mention you in my remarks tomorrow. <laughs> so so the next day, I get up there, and you know they read my CV, all this, and they applaud. And so I get up there, and I said, I want to begin first, first thanking doc, one of the members of your organization, who's in the audience today, who's going to be unnamed because I had such an amazing experience with him at Bethesda that it convinced me not to be a GYN doctor. And I want to thank him because because of that, I turned and pivoted and became an internist, which led to this. So I want to thank you for that. And then I moved on. I moved on. So then at the end of that, after my remarks, they applaud. I'm getting ready to leave. I'm by the carport getting to re- leave. And he was standing there waiting for me. And he had his head down, and he looks at me and says, I am so sorry, was I a jerk? I said, yes, you were. I said, remember, don't kill your young. Because I'm fortunate, I turn lemons into lemonade, but you don't know how many people could have been really good GYN doctors had you turned it the other way. So be nice to your young, don't kill them. He says, thank you, and so you move on. So you never know, don't burn your bridges, and you never know what behavior impacts somebody else and other lives to do it but let's go back to your life you, you talk about your family your husband Craig your son Roland and and how did you know to to balance that as a military woman to deploy it. and we I asked you what is the hardest thing you've ever done
2: in your life it was to leave a five-year-old little boy who was just starting kindergarten to deploy to Iraq and to be away until he was halfway through first grade and I love military service. I loved wearing the uniform. I love serving soldiers. I think it's so amazing to take care of somebody who is willing to die for our country and for their buddies. And uh, it was just tough.
1: Yeah. To be a mom and, and not be there. But you're blessed to have a wonderful husband, to Mr. Mom.
2: <laughs> I am. They They truly are both gifts from God. Like Craig is a gift from God. Roland is a gift from God. I feel so fortunate that I have been given these two men to love in my life. And I think that's really what life is about. As we talk about many roles and many goals, I look at it in terms of where else can love be spread. And so it makes sense to me to have a conference for women physicians and dentists because love can be spread there. And the more that love can be spread and, and community to can come in, the more we have a chance to heal those places that feel very broken, mm-hmm. those places that we feel very alone or, or ashamed or or we have a regret. And we can open up to what's amazing and, in life, those tender moments, those quiet words, those times of just feeling so deeply connected to others. And I, that's what life is about. You know, I think
1: too, as, as a, a wife, a mother, a friend, it makes us better physicians or healers because we can understand the human condition. When a patient's there and they're going through a rough marriage or they're having children, their problems with their kids or they're disconnected or they have a breakup or, or they lose their spouse, you can understand that. You can understand what a good marriage is like, what other marriages are like, that relationship. You can relate. Or being a parent, you're worried about your child. You've done an amazing job you you and Craig with your son Roland do you, you mind sharing where he's going off where he's what's he doing right now
2: so he's in his last year at Texas A&M he is going into the army so despite years and years <laughs> of saying we've got enough military service we've done enough hard things you get to choose whatever you want he said I want to go in the army and I want to be in field artillery uh, which is incredible but he really has a heart of service like it fits He really believes in taking care of your buddy. He really believes in in keeping yourself mentally and physically in a state of excellence. And I couldn't be more proud to know him.
1: You raised an amazing son. You really did. When you were away in Iraq, how did that impact him? Can you tell? Can you notice it? I
2: I still see. I I would call it residue. I still see some residue of it, which is I think he closed off. I was the one for him. So even though Mm. I... I had him right at the beginning of fourth year. So I was his person and Craig was away. He deployed when Roland was two. Um, I was his person. And I used to tell him, it's you and me against the world, buddy. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. Well, Craig was away. Craig came back. Um, so I think he, he, there's part of him that closed off. And it took a while after I came back. We, we went to Hawaii to try and have some fun. Um, it took quite a while for him to start to open up. And and to, to be like, okay, yeah. okay. She's okay. back. Yeah, she's back.
1: And it's hard for kids. You know, I look back. I did nine years at the White House, three different presidents, three terms. And I was gone most of the time. And I used to tell my the medical unit staff, we're in the trenches, but we have nice uniforms, civilian clothes, and we have nice aircraft, right? Air Force One, Marine One. We're still in the kill zone. If someone wants to kill the president, we're in the zone. So you're gone. And I remember... At the time I was there, my kids were 2 and 4, and they were 12 and 14 when I was done. So I missed most of that childhood. My, my husband, Richard, who's celebrating birthday this month, was there. He was Mr. Ma, took him to school. He was a constant. And I remember <clears throat> I only saw my children usually when they were sleeping. I would, I'd, I'd leave early in the morning before dawn, and they were asleep. I'd kiss them goodbye, and I'd come home late at night, and they were asleep. And sometimes on presidential trips, 10, 10 days a week. So I was gone. And what made me finally decide to retire was uh, it was at the uh, the end of um, Bill Clinton and George Herbert Walker Bush had sent me a note saying, I want you to stay for my son, W. And I said, Mr. President, I've been here a long time. It's time to move on. And Richard Tubb is a great physician. He will be good for your son. But what really what the impetus was I was home one day in Virginia at our home. I was in the basement. And I found some Homework and some writings of my son Jason, I still have the notebook, and it was his journal, and he was about seven or eight at the time he wrote this journal entry from his school, and I saw it, it was as though the page opened up, and I was looking down. and in the journal it had the date uh, that was taking place, and he was probably about seven or eight, and it said, "Today Mommy is away on another trip. She is with the president. When she is away, the house is dark. It is as though she is dead. And I said, that's it. I, I've served my time. Presence will be okay. But I can never have this time with my child again, this childhood. And so I, I put in my papers. I said, I'm, I'm retired. And it was, you know, you're tugged at the heartstrings. But, you know, you have the duty to your country. But you said, I've served. You know, I've served. I've done enough. But, you know, as we talk about our labor of love, and that's really it. We labor. We labor of love what other projects do you have going on? Because you're never <laughs> idle, you're never bored. <laughs>
2: right right in this stage of life, so we have one more year with our son, we live in the same community, and I'm really committed because I believe it's not too late. It's never too late. As long as I am breathing, it is not too late to be putting in effort and energy and doing things now that I couldn't do with him or for him 10 years ago or 15 years ago. And I love that. And it turns out college students, they love goodie bags, So we do goodie bags. What do you put in it? (laughs) (laughs) Bouncy balls, bubbles, (laughs) snacks, (laughs) pencils. Like, it, it just brings me so much joy, and it brings them joy. So making dinners, delivering dinners to to the students there, like preparing things, making baked goods. I think that is just so joyous to do things now because it's not too late. Yeah, and it yeah. builds our relationship. So that's a lot of my focus now. I love spending time and working with Lori Boche and developing Green Cloud. I love amplifying the voices of women who are doing great things and preparing for the conference for Emerge. And I love serving patients and I love spending time with Craig.
1: Yeah, you're really blessed. You have a very strong marriage. Why is that? What, what, how do you, how have you kept your marriage alive and strong? It's God.
2: It, it started with God. Our, our relationship was very unexpected. We had our first date about a week, a week or two before we graduated from college. He enlisted in the army. I went to Sweden for a couple of years. He ended up getting stationed in Germany. He would pop up to Sweden, uh, and, it, but it was really a, a faith. based effort to keep our marriage going because, you know, there are times that are so difficult. Deployment is so difficult.
1: There is no email. There's no cell phone. (laughs) You wrote letters.
2: No. Parenting (laughs) is difficult. Oh yeah. You know, being, we were dual military uh, for the first, I don't know, seven years of our marriage. You think of how many marriages break up through deployment. You grow apart. So it was that feeling like he was given to me to love and and that kept us going. He, his belief in us, his belief in me kept us going.
1: Is he your biggest fan? Absolutely. I tell people, I tell women, marry your biggest fan. Have somebody who believes in you, who has your back, is your biggest fan. So you, are you ready to retire? What do you, what's What's next in your career? What do you
2: want to, what do you want to do? I, you know, I, it's funny because we, we've been talking about that yesterday and today. And, and the idea is, I don't know. I wanna love purely, I wanna love excellently, I want to help people see the beauty within themselves and really help them get excited about their life, no matter where they've been or what they've done to see the beauty of their life, to see the value of their life and really connect to their desire for something greater because I think we're all called to something greater. As I look through my life, there were some very challenging times and I always just held on to this isn't as good as it gets. And so as much as I can encourage others and really celebrate their desires, their wants, or encourage them to start thinking about them, that's what I want my life to be about. It doesn't matter where it's at. It doesn't matter what I'm doing. That's
1: amazing. That is an amazing thing. You know, I I mentioned to you, you really should write a book. You should publish. I mean, you love your podcasts. What surprised you about doing podcasts?
2: That it could meet somebody wherever they're at whenever they're there. And, and I love that. So it is available. It's free on all major podcast platforms that somebody can connect to it. They can pick it up if they want. They can set it back down and they can know that they're not alone because I share so many stories where I felt down, I felt defeated or I failed or things didn't go as I planned and how I turned it around or how I at least kept going. So somebody in my story can start to hear their story and start to believe it is not too late. Anything can be transformed. We, it, it, this isn't as good as it gets. You know, and I, th- I see
1: when I see someone like you, very successful, you give people hope. You give people hope that you keep, keep doing. I mean, despite the difficulties, we just keep, we don't quit. You don't quit, right?
2: I love that. I, I feel like I have been to hell and back. I have taken myself there. <laughs> With some of the decisions or choices that I've made, yeah. I have gotten myself out of there. But it, it, it's really my, my faith, my belief in God um, to keep going. Because, again, and I, I don't know that I could say it enough, this is not as good as it gets. Like our lives are made for so much greatness and so much ri- richness. It has to be internally directed yeah. for us to keep going. The external uh, positive encouragement is helpful, but that internal fire that's what makes us unstoppable.
1: Yeah, that you that you don't put brakes and you don't self-criticize. You just keep moving. Right. This, you keep yearning, searching for something bigger and better, and be- and you know. And we talked about it, it's not about money, either, because after a point, it's money is used. It doesn't do it, and it actually causes problems. Because I see that in my patients. So you look at that. You look at meaning. Um, so. You would be someone who wouldn't retire would you still practice medicine late into your 60s 70s what do you what do you see you share the book you just read because we were talking about that book it was a review in the Wall Street Journal
2: yeah the book of Charlie it lessons from a 109 year old doctor and and it talks about how in his 100s he was continuing to go to ground rounds so he started medicine pre antibiotics where they really couldn't do much, they could show up. He, talked about, he talks about in the book how they used to take tonsils out with ether. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they would just slice them out.
1: Best surgeons, <laughs> quick surgeons, yeah. Fastest surgeons ever.
2: So you get, you get bits and pieces of the history of America, the history of medicine, yeah. when things were introduced, the formation of specialties within medicine. And he, he just remained excited about life and wanted to contribute. So he was a perpetual student. Mm
1: -hmm. You know, one of the things I see and I've read in studies about dementia, because that's what I'm seeing now. It's an epidemic of dementia among my patients. Thank God none of them have died of COVID. They're dying of dementia, which is a slow death, sadly. But they're also dying of cancer, lymphoma. But going back to dementia, the most valuable thing you have, the most valuable organ is your brain and your memory. We're nothing without our memory. You think of your the trove, the memories, the treasure of memories. You know, my late husband John would buy me beautiful jewelry and things, and I said, Sweetheart, don't give me things, give me memories. And that's what you cherish when they're long gone. But you look at the memory, and, if, and I think Charlie lived so long because he was always learning. He was curious, he was inquisitive, he, he was connected with life. And my patients will ask me because I celebrate 42 years of medicine and 18 years in my practice. And they said, well, when are you going to retire? And I said, I said, when I no longer of service. And as long as I keep my brain sharp, physically fit, and that I can keep current in medicine, I will practice because you can help so many people. Mm-hmm. And I think the challenge is, is solving the problem. But so, a lot of that, it's almost like which artificial intelligence can replace is is looking at patterns. Don't you feel a lot of times... it's there's a pattern recognition if you give me a list of symptoms show me a picture you look at the pattern this is it but isn't there like something extra beyond that that distinguishes us from an ai computer that's beyond the robot don't you think are we going to be extinct is artificial intelligence going to get rid of us
2: no because there's nothing that's going to place human connection and there has to be a level of trust for people to be honest And when we can be honest with each other, we can serve each other so much greater. So when somebody can be honest with me with what's really going on at home, I had a patient years ago. I had seen her for a year. Her high blood pressure was uncontrolled despite adding more medicine, talking about her medicines. And after a year, she trusted me enough to say that she was raped. Oh, dear. And that she really wasn't taking the medicines. And that we, we got into the heart of what was going on. Yeah. Artificial intelligence will never get there. No,
1: no. It'll just keep going back to the cycle and that querying over and over again, over and over again. I think people need the human connection because, you know, I've done telemedicine, but it does not replace me seeing somebody shaking their hand, sitting beside them, holding their hand, looking at them and that eye contact, right? That... Yeah, you consume all you want, and uh, there's an, a value for that, and I get that. But yeah. I tell my patients once a year, I want to see you at least once a year for your annual, 90 minutes. And I said, well, in that 90 minutes, it's all about you, and I'm going to focus on you. I don't get interrupted. I'm going to focus on you. Right. And and one of the questions I ask, which I ask you, what would make your life better?
2: Yeah. And my answer right now is is situational. My husband was in a very serious car accident this summer. I'm sorry. And his bell was rung. Yeah. Is he okay? (laughs) He's okay. But still recovering because not only was his bell rung, but he had been in the army for a number of years and put a lot of stress and strain on his body. So it has ignited or inflamed that. Um, So what would make my life better is him feeling better consistently and being able to be the physically active person that he wants to be.
1: Yeah. It's tough. Once one injury you start tripping and it you start declining and, and then you think, my body let me down, or something let me down, right? It's it's tough, you know, they say aging is not is not for sissies. <laughs> it it isn't there. Do you a have do you have a favorite type of patient you like to see?
2: Hmm. I I enjoy acutely ill needing to be hospitalized patients i enjoy the mystery that is happening what changed and and figuring it out and then noticing the second and third order effects of it so Mm -hmm. anticipating if somebody comes in with pneumonia that their heart failure is probably going to Mm -hmm. act up and anticipating it and then meeting it when it shows up Um, i enjoy Talking with families, especially caregivers, that is an unsung hero. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's the hardest thing to do. And having the ability to now to help them see the stress that they carry and help them see that so often and so common with caregivers is they don't feel like they're doing enough. They feel like they should have done more. They should have done differently. They should have prevented where things are. And I can say I talk with thousands of caregivers, and this is so common, and you have done enough. And, in fact, what you have done has probably extended their life and their quality of life by years, if not decades. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I love that, that ability to be a safe person, to help somebody feel more at home with their body or their situation, because that's what I think that the purpose of us as healers is.
1: Yeah. You know, in a lot of ways, it's can we be extenders of God? These are the hands that work in this life to touch lives to make it happen. You know, in a lot of ways, I look at it as ministry, that you minister your, your faith in God and your faith in something greater. Because you both you and I both know 100% of our patients die. It's a given fact. <laughs> Can't save them all. Right. But you can sure take care of them and love them and care for them and guide them and be as compassionate as you can be. And it's, it's, hasn't it been tougher? Have you felt that the world is meaner in a lot of ways? I-
2: I feel like I see more and more people who are unprepared. They're unprepared physically for mm-hmm. aging. They're unprepared mm-hmm. financially for a change or such as an inability to work. They're unprepared spiritually. think that gets put off for some day.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, emotionally, they're unprepared. They haven't had the conversations or meaningful experiences that they always wanted. Mm-hmm. And that's tough.
1: Yeah. Nobody prepares to die. It's a conversation I tell on my widows. You know, I tell married women, you know, 75% of married women will be widows. Have you had that conversation about your estate, your will? Be prepared. What What would you want? Don't leave it up to your survivors to guess what mom would have wanted or dad would have wanted. You know, how do you prepare? But, you know, you know, you know, we talk about labor, our labor of love, what we do. And we're so blessed with all those things. But I love how you, like I, do it's not enough that there are other things we love to do, right?
2: there is i i love that that that's what drives the train like it's it's a feeling of what else what else captivates my heart what else where else does it look like there's an opportunity to spread love without detracting from the other areas of life that are so tender to me
1: you know i think the message is the question is what else now you know you work you've got your job is that enough for you would you like to try other things and and you know, for us as communicators, we, we move into podcasts and communications that touches lives. But I have friends who become artists who, who do different things. They, they do singing, they take uh, tap, uh, tap dancing. They do different things that you're not confined for that one title. We don't carry one title. Any last moment messages? I told you this is the f- the fastest hour you'll ever experience. Is on, so is on the podcast.
2: The two things that I see that happen: one is people self censor; they they don't let themselves think bigger about their lives or their purpose. And the other is comparison. So that I hear people say a lot: "Who am I? Look, I've got so much. Who am I to want more? Who am I to do something differently?" And what I would say is you are exactly the person to think bigger about your life if that's what you want, to think expansively about your life, to try something and decide it does fit or it doesn't fit because anything that brings you more alive brings more positive energy into this world, it brings more love into this world and that's what we need right now.
1: And I love how you say more alive because I asked somebody something and you know what they love to do because when they talk about it, they are the most alive when they talk about it tell me about your grandkids, tell me about your book, tell me about your podcast, tell me about your practice. When they describe it, and they are their most alive, it's the right thing. So believe it or not, we're gonna, we're gonna end this session here. And I want to thank Dr. Dina George from Texas for joining me. And thank you for your service to this country. And thank you for what you do for other doctors and other healers to, to do the things they do to help become the most alive they can be. So thanks, Dina, for being on our show today.
2: Thank you. Truly an honor.
1: All right. So all of you have a wonderful month and take care and God bless you all.
0: Thank you again for joining us this week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. We'll be back next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a terrific week.